All right, good morning. Wow, kind of cleared out after the kids left, huh? It's like room now. Well, good morning. It was an extra early morning. I don't know about you, but it was certainly for me. I felt like, wow, I can't believe the alarm clock's going off already. But it was, and uh, so it is. Kind of a lazy feeling morning anyway, too. Um, yeah, Ch- uh, just to clarify, too, when Chance was talking about that, I really don't have any experience with childbirth, but I said what I said was that, that it's as I imagine it must be because you go one year and you feel like you're going to die, <clears throat> and then by the next year, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll do it again, no problem. Wasn't a big deal, you know? So anyway, I just figured that's the only way you ladies continue to have babies is by, after you experience that, you kind of forget about it a little bit and are like, okay, I think I could do that again. All right, that's what, that's, it's as close as we can come. We, we can't even relate. You ladies are way too awesome, and uh, we, we can't even relate. So today, we're, we're going to talk about how Jesus loved, and um, I want to share a couple of events out of Jesus' ministry, my, a couple of my favorite ones, ones that you've heard before, probably. You're going to be familiar with them. I've preached them before, too, but really, I just, I think we just need some Jesus, you know, just let, just to soak in. There's just so much stuff and so much angst and so many different things that what we really need to focus on and what we really need to be reminded to continue to be focused on is really just Jesus's goodness, who he was, and, and, and as we kind of get to know Jesus through the Scripture and through the Spirit and his witness with the Spirit in our spirit, it's this amazing thing where we can truly come to know him, we can come to know his character, and we can realize the example that he set before us in how to live and, and how to be. And so um, we're going to start out, <clears throat> we're going to start out in Mark chapter 5. And um, what we're going to do, though, before is, right before this, let's kind of set the, the tone for what's going on a little bit here. So, so in, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is, is teaching, and he's teaching beside the Sea of Galilee, and there are just massive crowds of people that are coming. People are coming just, just by droves because they're hearing about him and this teaching that he's having, and it's, it's done with authority, and it's profound, and, and he's doing these different miraculous things. And so Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee, which in and of itself is really this really cool picture because if you think about it, Jesus hasn't just relegated himself to teaching in the synagogue to men. He's, he's teaching beside the Sea of Galilee where it's open to anybody, anybody who wants to come, who wants to be a part of this, who wants to hear this teaching, it's open to them. It's open to children, it's open to women, it's open to Gentiles. It's not just this exclusive thing. Um, and so he's been ministering over there and, and the Bible says that the crowds are getting so great that he literally has to get out in a boat and get out away from them and create kind of a natural amphitheater so that people can even hear him. They're literally just, I don't know, we don't really have a number at this point, but they're very, very likely at many times in Jesus's ministry, there are thousands, multiple thousands of people that are there. And, and so Jesus is ministering here, and, and what he's about to do is he's about to tell his disciples, he says, get in the boat, we're, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. We're going to go over to the east shore of the lake, over to the place of the Gennesarens, and, 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 and anyway... What a thing, because I don't know about you, but, but I think what we would do is we would be like, okay, here it is. We have absolutely successful ministry here. There are thousands of people that are coming, that are attending, and, and, and wow, just look at the amazing things that are going on right here. And, and we would probably be like, look, you know, we've heard about that guy over there on the other side, and he's in a really bad way, but you know what? 
right here is the ministry and the focus of, you know, hopefully somebody will catch that guy. But, but right here is where it's at with all of these people that are going on, but not Jesus. Jesus is getting the boat where we're, we got to head across the boat. We got to head across the lake. We got to go meet this guy over there. And so, so we, they get in the boat and there's this horrible storm that happens overnight, right? And they have to wake Jesus up. They're like, aren't you afraid we're going to die? You know, and he says, he gets up and he's like, oh. it's like, just be still. Stills the whole thing, right? Just demonstrates again his divinity, his, his sovereignty, his, his, uh, his, his omnipotence, his, that he's the all power, that he's the creator, that all things are subject to him. And so he just speaks and the storm is stilled, Right. And then it says, if we come into this, it says that they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. And so here's this guy who meets Jesus as Jesus gets out of the boat. And here's the great thing is that Jesus has left the crowds. He's left these crowds of people and he's left them for one guy. He's left them to go meet one man who is absolutely consumed. It says that he, he's just consumed by demons. And so Jesus recognizes and says, look, that guy's not going to get over here to us. We got to go get him. And so he sets off on this journey across and this guy meets him there and everybody, by human standards, is they've just tried to chain this guy. They've tried to keep him bound, but he just rips all this stuff. He's got some kind of superhuman strength, and he just tears all this stuff up. Listen to this. Listen to the life that this guy has. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He's in utter agony, this man is. His life is nothing but misery. And he yells and he, he lives among the tombs and he lives isolated and alone. And he screams and he yells at night and he takes stones and he cuts himself. I mean, imagine this guy's life. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. I got to wonder if this is just the last vestige of his humanity, just running to the feet of Jesus and bowing down before Jesus right there. But then it says, crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And so he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, and then Jesus begins to say, come out of him. And Jesus is casting these demons out of him and, and requesting again, which shows his sovereignty over all things, that all things are accountable to God. Even the demons, and the demons recognize exactly who he is. They call him by name, son of the most high God. The book of James tells us that even the demons believe and they shudder, it says, because they understand and they know the power of God and who he is. And he's right there before them. And they begged him, or begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. <clears throat> now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, and they entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, and they rushed down the steep bank into the seas, and they drowned in the seas. 
And then the herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one whom had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And so can you imagine the scene as these people come from this town, they've heard what has just happened, and there are like bodies of pigs washing up on the shore, thousands of them. And here's this guy that nobody could do anything with, that they were just done with this guy. They're just trying to chain him up, trying to subdue him, try to just get rid of him, try to just forget about him. He's living in the tombs, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and speaking in his right mind. What, what an amazing picture. And what's their response? They're fearful. And they said to him, as those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to their pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. See, they didn't recognize him for what he was or what he is. They didn't see him as the savior. They, they actually probably looked at the currency of their pigs and said, we don't want to lose any more pigs. We wouldn't want to lose any more pigs on your account. And we're kind of thinking that the pigs were maybe more important than people. And so they said, just leave, just, just leave our, just go away from here. Goes on to say, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Let me go with you, please. What, what, a, what a, just, a, you know, what Jesus must mean to him at this point. And he did not permit him, but said, listen to this, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you, right? Go home to your friends. All his friends had given up on him, right? Can you imagine being this guy's friend? Yeah, you heard about John? Oh man, he's whacked, right? He's just eat up with it. He's running around in the tombs and you know, you can't even talk to him. He's just crazed. He's lost his mind. But Jesus is now sending him back to those people to be a witness to them, to say what God has done for him and how much God has had mercy on him. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis or the 10 cities how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So Jesus sends him back right into the middle of his community. And we're going to look at some more about that. And we want to talk some more about that. But we're going to look into another, uh, another one of these events in Jesus's ministry. And the next one we're going to look at begins in Genesis chapter 24, come to find out. It's actually, we're going to talk about John chapter 4 and a familiar story of Jesus meeting with a woman beside a well. But what I've came to understand is that, is that this actually begins back in Genesis 24 to get the whole picture of what's going on here. And in Genesis 24, we um, come to understand that, that Abraham is going to find a wife or is going to send his servant to get a wife for his son Isaac, right? And Isaac is what? Isaac is the son of promise, right? Isaac is the one by which um, it was proclaimed to Abraham that, 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 that his descendants would be like the, the stars in the sky or the sand in the seashore, that, um, that all of the nations would be blessed through this promised son. This promised son was even asked to become the sacrifice to demonstrate, to prove that Abraham truly loved God, Right? And, and, and we stopped by an angel who said, now I really know, and God said to Abraham, now I know that you truly love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son. So this is a, it's a type of, of Christ. It's a picture for us that 
pulls us into this event that makes us beg and say, God, don't ask me. Don't ask me to give my child. And when we get to the end of the story, we see God saying, I never asked you to give your child. I said I would give my son on your behalf. And so it's come that this son of promise should have a bride. And and it says that Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. So he says, look, don't take a wife here, not from these people. I don't want my son to have a wife out of the daughter of a Canaanite. I want you to go back to my land where it's a better place, where there are better people and go back there. And that's where you're going to find a bride for Isaac, this son of promise. And so it says that, and we'll skip a few verses and we'll go to uh, verse 10 here. And it says, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia of the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. So where does he go? He goes to a well where the women come. And if you're looking for a bride, right, and all of the the ladies are coming out and they're gonna draw water from this well in the evening, then it's a great place for him to kind of scout this out. So he sits down by this well. And he said, oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your son, servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So he basically says, I'm gonna sit down here by this well and I'm gonna ask a woman to give me a drink. And her response and performance is very much gonna be um, indicative of whether she is this person that's been selected for the bride. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. So she's young, she's beautiful, she's pure, she has purity. Everything about her is just right. She's from the right place with the right people. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her. And he said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. What a picture. She's really agreeable too, right? Not only does she do what was asked of her, but she goes above and beyond and even waters the camels, which is quite an endeavor because several camels are gonna drink a lot of water. It's a lot of trips back to the well. But think about her. Again, she's from the right place. She's from the right lineage, from the right people. 
She's pure, she's beautiful, she's perfect, she's agreeable. She does all the right stuff. Not only does all the right stuff, but goes above and beyond for all of the right stuff. And she's gonna become the, the, the wife of this son of promise, fast forward to Jesus's ministry. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So again, and you'll be familiar with some of these things, but it's noon. It's not the evening. It's the hottest part of the day. It's when nobody really would have went to go draw water, but Jesus is sitting here. And why is he sitting here? Because, hey, like we talked last week, he's 100% human. He's tired and he's weary. And he's sitting by this well, but he's sitting by this well, not just because he's weary, but because he has a divine appointment with somebody who's about to show up at noon. About a lady who's, who's marginalized and she's kind of on the edge there. And so she goes at noon, most likely, and we'll see from the story, because she doesn't want to encounter anybody else. She doesn't want to want to see anybody. She doesn't want to have to deal with anybody. She doesn't want to have to deal with the looks and the smirks and the conversations that go on underneath the breath. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria, also to remember, she's from Samaria. The Jews don't like Samaritans. The Samaritans were a group of people that when the Assyrians had, 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 had conquered um, in, in, in Judah, they, they brought in a lot of Gentile people and they inter. They intermarried with those people, and they also brought in some things of different religion, and they kind of mixed it with Judaism. So, so, the, so the Jewish people would walk all the way around Samaria. They wouldn't even walk through it. They didn't want to have to deal with the Samaritans. They didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't care for the Samaritans. They didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to reach out to the Samaritans, but not Jesus. He goes through Samaria. And then a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. But the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Again, <clears throat> it's enough that she's a Samaritan, but the fact that she's a woman and a Samaritan, a rabbi would never speak to her. And she's surprised. Why is it that you're even talking to me? Jesus answered her and he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus begins to, he begins to change the, the, the nature of the conversation and he goes out of the physical, he begins to speak about the spiritual realm, right? And, and what's going on inside of her and her life. But she thinks he's still talking about water. But he's saying, if you would ask me, I have something to offer you. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank for himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Kind of interesting. She's kind of snarky, isn't she? You know, just a little bit, you know, versus Rebecca, who's like, oh, here, have a drink and let me water your camels too. She's like, why are you even talking to me? 
I don't even know why you're talking to me. You don't have anything to draw from. What are you talking about? You think you're better than Jacob? You know, all of this stuff, right? But think about the goodness and the kindness and the patience of Jesus in the midst of this, right? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will come up in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus basically says, look, you drink out of that well, you're going to get thirsty again. As a matter of fact, ultimately what Jesus is telling her is you're drinking out of the wrong well. There's a different well that you could drink out of that you would actually find satisfaction for your thirst. Matter of fact, you're trying to quench your thirst in in the wrong places. You're drinking out of a well that only leaves you thirsty again. See, this is the reality of us. This is what we do. We, We live our lives believing that different things will bring satisfaction to us that cannot do it and will not do it. They just won't. They weren't made to do it. And, and, and the Bible calls us to, 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 to drink out of the right well. And then even some of those things that we thought would bring satisfaction can find their right place in our lives. And we can live it in kind of a, a better spot, a, a, a more peaceful place, a place, a, a right spot where those things aren't idols in our lives anymore, but they occupy the right place in our lives. But, but basically, Jesus says, hey, look, you're drinking out of the wrong well. You're going to keep getting thirsty. You'll never catch what you're after. You'll just keep getting thirsty. You'll just have to keep coming to this. But if you come to the well and the water that I have, you'll never, ever thirst again. It'll truly satisfy you. It'll quench your thirst. It'll do what you're looking for, what you're out there, drinking out of these other wells, hoping that they'll produce in you, and they're not. This will actually do it. If you come to me and you get this living water. So she says, okay, hey, if I won't be thirsty and I won't have to come back to this well and deal with all this stuff again, give it to me. I'll take, the, I'll take your deal. I'll take that living water. Let me have some of it. And then, man, Jesus, here's what he does. And this is what he does to us. <clears throat> What's he say? He says, go call your husband and have him come here and come here. And the woman says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So when we make this deal and we get to a place of reckoning and we say, you know what? I've been drinking out of the wrong well. The well that I've been drinking out of is actually just leaving me thirsty I actually do, Jesus, would like some of that water that you're offering. You know what happens? Jesus gets in your business about that well you've been drinking out of. He says, go get your husband. He doesn't shame her. He's not talking about the past. He's moving forward. But before he moves forward, you got to deal with where she's at. Got to deal with this well that she's drinking out of, this thing that she believes is going to provide for her what it cannot So she's had five relationships, five different men that she's been married to, and the guy that she's with now will not do her the honor of marrying her. This is is huge in this culture. We don't think much about it because we've kind of trampled on marriage a little bit. We don't give it the reverence that it ought to have in our culture. 
But here you didn't do this. <clears throat> and so she's shamed, she's ostracized, she is marginalized, she's pushed out to the side. And the guy that she's with won't even do her the honor of marrying her. But she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, okay, you started with some truth. And that's the pathway to healing. When we get honest and we get real about the stuff that we've been doing, where we've been reaching, where we've been looking, what we've been seeking for, what well we've been drinking out of and recognizing that it's not going to do it. And we say, okay, God, this is where I'm at. Then that's, that's the entry point into healing. It's not about shame. It's about getting us out of denial and into a place of reality where God, where the God of healing can work because he only is going to work in reality. He's not going to work in denial. There's no hope in denial. There's never been. So she does what we do. He gives her the business about, you've had five husbands, right? And she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> you're going to divert the attention now somewhere else, right? <clears throat> wow, you must be a prophet. Well, I have a question for you. Um, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship, right? So let's change the subject. Let's don't talk about me. Let's talk about this over here. Where should we worship? If we're worshipers and we're going to do all this, and, and Jesus says to her, he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. What's Jesus saying? It's not where, it's what. It's not where you worship, it's what you worship. It, it, it's in knowing the one who is true, the one who is worthy of worship, the one who has is, is, is come that we might have life. And so Jesus is telling her, look, it's, it's not about where, it's about what you worship. You guys are worshiping what you don't know. You're worshiping what you don't know. What you need to know is the one who is worthy of worship. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So the hour is now here where the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Not in church on Sunday, but in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? That means that it's an all-encompassing thing. It means that everything about the spirit of who we are witnesses with the spirit of who God is and is joined in that, and we revel and we celebrate the truth of who God is and what he's told us to do and be. We live within the parameters. We live within the, the ways that God has called us to live so that we might experience the freedom and the goodness that God has for us. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And I want to say truth is a precious commodity these days because there is a lot, a lot, a lot of deception out there. So how do we know the truth? Well, we know the truth by comparing it to the truth, by comparing in everything about our lives goes under the lens of God's word. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am he. Again, a reference to his divinity. It's me. You're talking to him right now. 
Jesus said, um, then the disciples came back and they marveled or they were freaked out that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? That's what they wanted to say, but they wouldn't say it, right? They were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is over there. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. Oh no, I knew we shouldn't have come through here. <laughs> what are we going to do with Jesus? What is the matter with him? How come he's doing this? They're all freaked out, right? Because they don't get it. So key, the woman left her water jar and she went away into town and she said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. So let's picture this. She leaves her water bottle, her water jar. She's found that satisfaction. She's, her thirst is quenched. She doesn't need that. And where does she go? She goes into the people that she's been hiding from. She's been in, goes straight back. She's been, she's, she's had an encounter with the Messiah. So she goes back to her people. And it says now that they all were coming out of the town and they're coming towards this place where Jesus is at. Meanwhile, the disciples are trying to give Jesus a sandwich, right? They're like, Jesus, you're freaking us out. Maybe your blood sugar's low. Have some food, eat something, um, I don't know what to do with you. Meanwhile, they were urging him, Rabbi, eat. And he, now, now he begins to talk about food. We've talked about water, and now he talks about food. And he says to them, he says, for I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has somebody brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus is saying, if you want to find, if you want to quench your thirst, it's in him. It's not in other places. It's not in other things. It's not in other people or relationships. It starts there. And then guess what? If you want to find satisfaction in your life, do the will of God in your life. Do it. Don't just know it. Do it. Live it out. Go and do it. And he's telling them, and just think about this. Now the Samaritans are all coming up to him. The disciples are there. They're freaked out because Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman and, and somebody got him a sandwich or something. They can't figure this out. All of these guys are coming this way and Jesus is telling them, let's do the will of the Father. And then he said to them, do you not say yet there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He's saying, it's not in the future. You always think that this day is coming in the future, but it's today, it's coming, and here they come, and guess what? We want to be caught doing the will of the Father. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. What is Jesus now doing? He's sending his disciples to the very people that they don't want to minister to either, the Samaritans. And he's saying, look, it's all here and it's all prepared for you. And some people have sown seeds into this and some have watered, but you're going to get to be a part of the harvest, enter into and recognize the privilege that that is. And so it says that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to them, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. 
They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we, we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What a great picture. What a, what a great event in, in Jesus' ministry. And, and, and I, I want to just say that, that ultimately when Jesus is talking to this woman at the well, what is his offer to her? His offer really, if you really get down to it, is I'll be your husband. I'll be your husband. You've been looking, all, you've had all these husbands, and the guy that you're with isn't faithful to you, but I am, and I'll be your husband. Because we know that Jesus is, is pronounced to be the groom, and the church his bride, and what's he doing? He's gathering his bride, right? That he might give himself, and he purchased his bride with an incredibly expensive dowry, his own blood and life. Purchased this bride so that together forever they could be together. Um, Isaac and Rebecca came together in what ultimately would become the birth of Jesus in their union. And his union with the church is ultimately the pathway to eternal life. And so it's just this picture that Jesus is, he's always dealing and he's always seeking out, not those who are pure and perfect and got the right lineage and did it all right and are agreeable and say the right things and do the right things and go up and above and beyond and all of this. He sought out a, a, a woman who, who, who was older. She'd been married five times. I don't know how she looked. She certainly wasn't pure. She wasn't agreeable. She didn't do all the right things, but she ended up recognizing him for who he was and turning to him and then going and making it evident by, by having it be part of her life, by even just going back and beginning to witness to these people. And the, even that event there started this whole event where many, 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 it says, came to know Jesus as Savior. So that's the thing, and maybe you can relate, or maybe you feel like you're always on the outside of things, or that you're marginalized, or that, or, or that people don't care, or they don't know, or they don't get it, or you're experiencing great suffering, or fear, or struggle, or anxiety, or any of those things. I want to tell you that Jesus is here for you. He's come, and he's come to seek you out. He hasn't sat back and just said, well, when you get over here, when you get over here, we'll talk. No. He's had a divine appointment in your life, maybe even appointments, to meet with you, to seek you out, to show you, to demonstrate to you his goodness and his love and his faithfulness and his commitment to you. So if you've never done that, if you've never, if you've never received Jesus as Savior, it's this incredibly complicated yet simple thing. You give up your will. You win this thing by losing. You say yes to this deal that God has. You believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And that in that death, that he stands ready to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to you. Because he, because he came and he loved. He walked this earth. He identified with us. He, 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 he experienced this thing. He, he's come to intervene. Uh, to, to intervene in the midst of our brokenness and, 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 and to change our eternal destination to one with him. He wants really for all 
that will come to come into this idea of becoming his bride. And he's the faithful groom who will return one day for that bride. Why? Because he's purchased that bride with a great price, sealed her and said, I will return for you and I will be faithful to you. So if you've never done that, if you've never said yes to this deal, you do so just simply by asking, by admitting, by getting real, saying, I've drank out of the wrong well. I want to drink out of the right one. I want to make you the Lord of my life. And just asking, will you come? Will you meet with me? Will you forgive me? Will you restore me? Forgive me of my sins. And when we do that and we believe in our heart and we, we begin to profess that and speak that and it comes out in our lives, the Bible says that we're saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of your own. It is the gift of God and not by works so that no man may boast. It's just a picture of simply surrendering you and actually beginning to live in the way you were created to live, which is in relationship to your creator. We've tried way too long to live apart and alone and isolated and independent of a creator. It's time, if you've never done that, to come and to ask, and he'll give. He's faithful. So it's much more about a heart thing than all the right words. It's really just a position of the heart. And, and when we come before him, he's faithful to save. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, Jesus. We thank you that you've sought out those in the world who had no hope, and that was us. We were without hope, and, and we were lost and separated and apart from you, but you came, and you sought us out, and you, you loved us, and you expressed and showed us how much you love and care for us. You've shown us that, that, uh, that your love is boundless, that, that it it infiltrates into all arenas and all areas. There is no place that is separate or, or um, apart from it or far from it. Lord, we thank you that you've shown us and that you've demonstrated that you're near. So Lord, we just pray that we would draw near. And for those of us who are believers, Lord, we pray we would recognize that there is food out there in which we can be satisfied through. That if we do the work, if we do the things that you've called us to do, Lord, that we'll be blessed in that that we'll find satisfaction in that and others will find eternal life, um, not because we're good, but because you're good, because you've chosen your church to be the vehicle of, and the means to reach a lost world out there. And Lord, if we're far and separated and we feel like we've just went too far or things in our lives have just been too much and that you would never accept us for who we are, because if you really knew who we are, you would reject us. But Lord, your word shows us that you you told her everything she had ever done and you still accepted her and you offered her to be your bride. So Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the goodness of who you are and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.